Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. <laughs> Hi, folks. We're back for part two of this week's discussion of the defense. Michael Crawford is with me. Michael, how you doing? Doing good, Ken. Doing good. Looking forward to uh, to part two of this discussion. Always, always good to be on with you and talk ball. And like you said, it's always good when you get to talk about a win. 
There it is. Lots of lots of stuff from that first discussion. By the way, if you didn't hear it, go back and and download that. I mean, it's 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 very easy. But part one had a lot of good information. I thought about uh, some of the things the Ravens did defensively, some of the ways they they turned the game around offensively. In fact, we talked about briefly and and what that meant for the defense. But uh, you'll you'll find that uh, Michael Crawford is always someone worth talking football with. So uh, make sure you you give him a follow on Twitter at Abukari. A-B-U-K-A-R-I. And uh, he's got two uh, shows he'll tell you about at the end, but it's the Fire Zone Show and the Deep Cover Pod. Uh, give those a look as well. Need to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. Let's talk about, how about the pass rush in this game? Any general thoughts on the pass rush before I hit some people with a whole bunch of numbers? Um, Just that you kind of touched on this in part one, so people should definitely go back and listen to that. But, um, you know, don't feel like they they did a lot in terms of pressure with numbers mm-hmm. in this game, which makes sense to me because uh, Tom Brady has seen all of that. Um, you know, if you're going to come after him with numbers, he's probably going to dice you up uh, for the most part. Uh, I know they got those offensive line struggles right now in the interior, but that notwithstanding, he's probably the kind of guy who you don't want to do too much of that with. Like, I'm not saying don't do it. You got to be selective with it. But he's a guy who's seen it all. There isn't a pressure you have that he hasn't seen. And so you've got to be careful uh, with what you do there. So sometimes you're better off with maybe just a standard four man rush or, you know, some of these sort of creeper, you know, design designer four man stuff where it's four, but it's not the four you think, um, you know, can be effective. Yeah. And I, the, the Ravens are maybe a little limited in terms of what four they can do really effectively and maintain coverage. Uh, if if they're if they want to bring four, dropping somebody from the line of scrimmage doesn't mean you're dropping an effective coverage player from the line of scrimmage for the Ravens. So they need to be careful about that kind of thing. But just talking numbers here, the Ravens definitely did not juice it up with a lot of numbers. One rush with three went for a 28 yard play, so that didn't really work out. Then they had 39 rushes with four uh, that were 5.7 yards per play. That's right where they want to be, I think, against any quarterback if you hold him to 5.7 yards for throw that's generally going to get the job done they had two of their sacks on four-man rushes uh interestingly enough they also had two of their sacks with ample time and space we'll get to that in a in a in a minute or so but they had six uh six rushes with five uh 54 yards on those plays so 9.0 not not enough maybe in terms of sample size to go on there but the fact that they only rushed six uh a little bit less than 15 percent of the time 14, 13, whatever that works out to be, six out of 46, um, is, uh, you know, light. I mean, we're certainly after the wink years. Oh, yeah. That's another one of those things where I was talking about. You just have to get you, – your eyes have to readjust to what it looks like now because <laughs> it just doesn't look what you're used to seeing. Um, and, and and I think, again, that has, has maybe added to some of the frustration for some people early on. I think the last couple of games, I don't I don't get the same sense of that level of frustration because I think that people feel like the defense has generally played better. Um, but I think, you know, early on with some of the big plays and then people also seeing, you know, some of the soft coverage and the gains underneath, the combination of those two things was kind of frustrating people. Once you eliminate the big plays, and now it's just some of that underneath stuff because you're playing a little off and soft, but you're keeping people out of the end zone. People are coming around to that and people are kind of like, OK, you know, look, if this is going to keep uh, this is going to turn it into a game of threes versus sevens, you know, we, we can live with that. Yeah. It's, you know, obviously the big thing about Brady at this point in his career is we saw the, the comparisons to Ben Roethlisberger, by the way. 
are getting to be more and more hilarious in terms of of what's going on. And it really tells you just how how bad Brady has fallen that he's now like late career Ben Roethlisberger. But uh, he's very much a get the ball out of his hands as quickly as he possibly can, get into a receiver's hands, try and have them make plays. He's got a various group of athletes between Godwin and Perriman and Evans uh, and, you know, some of the tight ends as well. Uh, that, that can catch a football and make something maybe happen after the catch where Brady's got less of a chance to stand in there like a statue. We did see him try and run left once yeah. on third and 10. That did not look pretty Mm-mm. in terms of uh, of going not anywhere. All. Not at all. <laughs> but but he got rid of the ball very quickly. And that was really the, the, uh, the major part of this game. It's very difficult for the Ravens to generate pressure uh, without doing it with their coverage unit. So – the more they drop, the more effective I really felt like they were. Brady has sort of a, uh, I would say, an aversion to throwing at any kind of a tight window these days. It looked like to me he he needs to have an open-ended window on one side, in which case he still is is much more eager to risk overthrowing or throwing wide the football than I can remember. But he doesn't like a closing window. He wants no part of that. No, no, it's just so different, man, looking at him now and, and the kinds of throws. We talked about it earlier about what he's missing and then, you know, the point that you, you're making right now, the kind of throws that he even will attempt. You know, you, you see those tight window throws in the past. And now is it, you know, confidence in who he's throwing to? Is it confidence in his prote- – I guess I should say lack of confidence. Lack of confidence in his protection? Is it? Is it – you know, just time, you know, keeping up with, you know, catching up with him and he's not seeing those kinds of throws anymore. I don't know. I don't know if it, or it was a combination of all those things. I don't know. But it's a different guy, you know, because I'm, I'm not used to seeing Tom Brady turn down those throws. Right. It's tight window. He's always had enough arm, a good enough arm to get the ball into those situations and has always been able to throw with enough anticipation to get the ball in, in through some of those windows. But like you said, he's just turning those throws down. now. Yeah. And 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 when he does, when he's a crosser and he has to lead that receiver, and we saw it with Rudolph in the end zone, we saw it a number of plays. I thought Geno Stone had some tight, fairly tight trailing crossing coverage several times. Once in the back of the end zone with Evans, uh, there, there were multiple times. I, I will just say once at the at the goal line with Rudolph, mm-hmm. uh, where where you know. Tom Brady put in a position to lead a receiver is just leading him by way too much. And it's just, it's, it's a lack of confidence. He obviously doesn't want the interceptions. Right. Uh, you know, the, the, that's, uh, that's pretty clear there. And yet he still threw three room service interceptions. We talked about this in part one, that, that the Ravens uh, didn't get any of them. They're, they're best, you know, their best ball Hawks out there. Chuck, Chuck Clark and Humphrey and Peters each had a chance with the sort of interception you would not expect any defender to drop. Yeah, he served them up. Tom set those things up on a tee, and uh, <laughs> the guys just weren't able to cash them in uh, in that game. But I, I don't know, man. I mean, for every every season until now, you know, not every season, but there there have been periods over uh, his previous seasons where we wanted to call it, right? This is the end. Father Time has finally called up. This is it. And he turns it around. Right. And then he'll go on to have, you know, a good rest of the season and, and be the guy who we've always seen. But we've always known that can't continue forever. Mm-hmm. And so is this is this one? Is this finally the one where we call it and we say, this is the one. This is it. It's finally called up with Tom. 
I don't know, but it's 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 not looking good right now. I still don't want to call it because I mean we've been burned so many times before. Nobody really wants to call it anymore. Um, but this 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 could be the one. Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing I I don't mind being wrong about an occasional prognostication. I I don't make too many of them, but when I, when I really want to make one, I will. In terms of projecting, usually it's projecting a young talent mm-hmm. and 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 when he's going to be good, and not projecting an old talent and when he's going to be <laughs> bad. Because, because it usually, I mean, you know, it's it. Those do not come in predictable um, increments. They usually come in discrete drop offs, and usually related to injury. Honestly, so you know, a player falls off. Uh, you know, when when they signed um, uh, Doomerville after the 2012 season, my my feeling was he signed for five years. If if I had to guess, they're going to get one top shelf year out of him, another year where he might be pretty good, um, and and you know, one year where he won't he won't get paid at the end of the contract at least, and then two other years where he's going to fight through the injuries and we're going to see what he's got, and and honestly, that's about what they got out of Elvis Dumerville in the in the I guess it was four out of the five years he played with the Ravens during that time. Yeah, uh, definitely had I, a top shelf. Definitely had one top shelf year yeah. for sure. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I did. That was uh, it was it was nice to have that, and it was uh, uh, you know, you don't you don't necessarily get that with an older player. You might get none of that, but uh, with Brady, you know, if if I don't know even how many years he signed for at this point, but if he's if he's got one more good year, it would be kind of I think a, a modest upset to me at this point, given where he is. If he's got one really good year left. For some of your younger listeners, Doomerville, number one, playing for the Ravens might be a name they have to look up. Number two, there was a fax machine issue that got him here. Go Google, <laughs> go Google what a fax machine is. <laughs> yes. That's funny. That is funny, actually, that, uh, that yeah. it's, been, it's been 10 years and there might be some people who don't know who Elvis Doomerville is. It's been, what, six years probably since he's been a Raven, right? Yeah, there's certainly plenty who don't know what a fax machine is. <laughs> plenty. Fair enough. Fair enough. You got to come up with that other technology that 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 came from our youths that uh, <laughs> that is gone now. But uh, you know, it's I, when I got my first uh, computer in 1984. 1984, uh, it uh, it had 10 megabyte hard drive, and that mm-hmm. was IBM's big model at the time. You were cutting so, edge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we got here's uh, here's I got the technology for you. Then we got these cartridge drives that would go in something called a Bernoulli box. If there's anyone out there who knows what a Bernoulli mm. box is, I'm impressed with you right away because that was for a brief period of time, you could put in 10 megabyte cartridges and they were huge. They were like the size of an eight and a half 11 by 11 sheet of paper. Uh, and now, you know, a, a, a thumb drive will hold uh, what? Uh, 500 times as much i might i might be understating it yeah. in, in terms of uh of yeah no times. you even got me on that one so yeah people if there's somebody out there who knows about the bernoulli hey <laughs> <laughs> congratulations all right well let's let's keep going a little bit justin houston and matabike were the two guys who were able to get red regular pressure each kind of a different case uh houston very few snaps was in there got got uh you know one sack on an ats play another sack uh, on, I think it was on the, on the play previously where he actually got there on on time. What's interesting about that, I love the fact that they couldn't get their graphic changed quickly enough before he had another sack to be number 555. <laughs> I love those kind of busted storylines. Yeah, hey, look, he's cranked it up, right? And it makes you think back to last year, right, where there were so many of those just just missed 
kind of sacks, right? We just missed those situations. Good rushes right around the quarterback, just couldn't finish it off with a sack. And, you know, it had to be frustrating for him. Obviously, we were we were talking about those near misses as fans. And then to hear to see him have the kind of run uh, that he's had here recently. Um, man, it's it's just it's so much fun to watch. And like you said, I, I'd, I'd love to see that every game. Right. Get one. Let them throw up the graphic. Go get another one on the next play. They can't update it in time. <laughs> Let's just keep doing that on every play uh, because he's he's kind of turning back the clock a little bit right now. And, uh, I'm loving it. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's certainly exciting. They got some older guys, and we talked a little bit about. By the, way, by the way, listen to part one if you will. But one of the things we talked about was defenders used in a way that is not out of necessity, and that outside linebacker group is starting to get fun, in that they're more pairing up these guys with what's the best opportunity to use them, what's the optimal way to use this set of outside linebackers versus oh my god, who are we going to put out there down after down after down because we only have two healthy bodies or three healthy bodies and one of them is a practice squad player. Yeah, that's changed around because they were definitely in that uh, in that mode um, earlier in the season. And it was like, man, how are they? What did they had a game where they did they only have four? Oh, they had a game. They've had a game. where they've only had three. And if you don't count Harrison, but I mean, I, I, I will just remind people that Ada Ochu and uh, Copeland, and Means have all been on this. Means only lasted one snap into a season before he got hurt. That was really yeah, very Beagle. bad. But, yeah. <laughs> Vince Beagle, right? He was around. Yeah, Vince Beagle didn't didn't even play a snap this year, but it's another great one that they lost him during preseason. And and uh, and of course, Kennard is is a practice squad player who is here and helping the Ravens right now. And we'll see if he can do it for a little more. But uh, uh, you know, they've if, if Ravens have been playing on fumes. You know, trying to get Malik Harrison to get some, get some, uh, provide some value from the on the outside, and it's exciting now that they're they may be in a position where they're going to get a little more out of that position, a little more optimization out of that position. Yeah, man, I'm I'm eager every week. I'm I'm looking for Tyus. I'm like, can this be the week? And I'll do the same thing going into New Orleans. Can this be the week? I, I think I think next week it pretty much has to be right because they they got oh, a right. reprieve because of the because it was a Thursday game I think on it's the end of the week and it's like Friday is the last day or something you could practice without being activated and so I, I, I look don't take my word for it because I've been wrong so many times about little personnel movement rules particularly this sort of thing I, I have to ask somebody else but I think they got a reprieve basically on the he's not on the inactive list this week he wasn't so they didn't. They didn't have to activate him yet, but it may be coming and it may, I don't, I don't exactly know when it is, but I think it probably has to be before their next game for both of those guys that they have to be added to the 53 or put on IR or whatever. I think um, you're right. I think that 21 day window, and I don't know the exact day either. So don't quote me, you know, don't even want to quote me on it, but I think it's closing before that Saints game. Yeah. And then if this had been a Sunday game that they would have had to have been activated actually for the game. I believe because this is this is their third week in in both cases. Yeah, it might be Kohler. Is Kohler the other guy? Kohler is one week one week removed from Bowser and and uh, Ajabo. So, so he's got, got one more time. He's so got one more week. Okay, so but, Bowser. But he, he's another one then that has to be activated in time for the Saints game or or put on IR. You know, he could be on the fifty three and he could be inactive for the game. That's fine, yeah. Yeah. but you know, he's got to be he's got to be put on the fifty three. I believe. And, and, you know, honestly, in all of these guys, they've all been full full go. They haven't shown up on the injury report. So, you know, you, you certainly hope the Ravens didn't start the clock on anybody prematurely. And now they're going to have to go back for four more weeks of IR, or, you know, 
sit as walking wounded for a period of time when the team doesn't have an unlimited number of spots. Sadly, they do have a limited number of spots <laughs> available yeah. for walking wounded. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm 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 optimistic about those guys. Like you said, they've all been full go. Um, haven't heard anything about any setbacks or anything. So, um, man, I think Bowser coming back, particularly since we're talking about defense and that outside linebacker group, we know what he can do in coverage and just kind of his multifaceted skill set, but particularly in coverage. Um, you talked about the group getting fun because of versatility and different ways you can use them. That's that's going to be like, you know, the, the the toy that you've been looking for all year on Christmas showing up when he's back. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's the big domino. Honestly, he's he's a lot like Ronnie Stanley on the offensive line coming back and being the, the guy who drives the engine in a lot of ways, makes a lot of other positions better because you don't have to worry about things as much. But uh, Bowser's ability to do different things on a football field are going to make it a lot easier to find snaps for JPP that are most appropriate, for Oway that are most appropriate, for even for Houston. I mean, they seem to have dialed down to a great level mm-hmm. of very productive snaps with Houston, but but even for a player like him to fit in this larger engine of other potential producers, I think is going to be very exciting. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. Justin Matabike, I want to talk about a little bit because I thought he had a fantastic game in terms of getting pressure. And a lot of it was taken away by a complete crap call on the roughing the yeah. passer. I, I, I mean, didn't hit him late, didn't hit him low, didn't, I didn't think hit him too hard, although they got some, you know, the, whoever was doing the game, I don't know who the color guy was in the, the, this time around, looked like maybe his ex-offensive lineman, but uh, uh, did not, or, did not look like it was a drive into the ground play. But even if it was, I mean, it's a lot less bad than others I've seen. Uh, and in fact, in this game, I thought if he was going to be penalized for any play, it should have been the very first one where he kind of came in low and he still flipped Brady, you know, when he when he uh, uh, hit him, he hit him a, maybe a little bit above the knees then he kind of slid down in the moment and then he pulled his legs out. So he went down to the ground. If you're going to get him for a for a for a RTP, at least get him for the right one. Don't don't have it be a makeup call and look like crap like it did. Yeah. Now, that one that they called on him. You, you said it. I mean, it was like right in the strike zone and the timing was was bang, bang. It wasn't, you know, like egregiously after the ball was out or anything like that. And that got you right. I, I don't even know if this is in the rule, but I mean, I hear people talk about it that, like you said, driving them into the ground, finishing with your your weight on top of him, whatever, you know, whatever all these things are. I mean, you're trying to tackle people. So, right. you know, this is this, this, these things are going to happen. Um, but I'm glad that he, he, he was able to come back and, and get us at. Yeah. And I kind of took that one away from him on, on that kind of bogus call. He came back and uh, they ran that little inside twist with him and JPP. And then he kind of, the, the Bucks actually passed it off pretty well initially. Yeah. And he just kept working. You know, like I, like I, I always say effort. I've heard a coach say it. It's not mine, uh, but I, I, you know, parroted it a lot. Effort still wins. You know, you can talk about a lot of things with pass rush moves and, you know, technique and all that, but Effort still wins, uh, and, and Matabike definitely plays uh, with with a high motor. Yeah, I, I, just taking the words out of my mouth there. It's just going to say that that motor on that play really exceptional, and it was an ATS sack, ample time and space in the pocket. Brady had all day to throw. It was a coverage sack, and you know a lot of a lot of services uh, will look down on such sacks as that's not as valuable, and it it probably isn't. It probably doesn't replicate as well week to week, year to year, that these kind of cleanup sacks that he would get. I'm still impressed with it, and I love the fact that he's hitting the quarterback as many times. He had another quarterback hit that was 
wiped out by penalty. And that was on the on the time Houston got held. The penalty, the, the 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 touchdown got recalled, but it also wiped out a QH by o, by uh, Matabike on the play. Matabike. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember that one down there late. So anyway, he had I think he had four would have had four quarterback hits, and he did he knocked Brady down four times. That was actual feeling that Brady had on top of that weight that was real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he look, I mean this this was if you're an interior guy, um, you know you you kind of had to be licking your chops a little bit. I mean, look, Shaq Mason. Their right guard, still, you know, really solid, mm-hmm. solid guy in this in this league. But Robert Hainsey, who's their third center this year, <laughs> I know Jensen yeah. got hurt, and I think they had another guy who came in after that and got hurt. And I think Hainsey had played either tackle or guard. I know he was a tackle in college. Uh, when he got down there, I think he might have played guard. When he got to the Bucks, and now he's at center. And then um, their right guard, Lavert. Oh, I'm blanking on his first name, number sixty, but obviously he's a guy who's like. You know, you're you're probably down to like your third tier guy at 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 left guard there. So you got to be licking your chops a little bit. You know, if you're Matt Abike and Broderick Washington, all those guys, you know, uh, coming into this game and say, hey, we, it's the NFL, so you know, you still got to go out there and get it done against whoever shows up. But you got to feel a little little excited about those opportunities. Yeah. Good, good, good left A gap game. That's for sure. And it, it seemed like a lot of what was going wrong was there. Uh, Worf's had a good game, I, I thought. Uh, their left tackle was, had some troubles. Um, Seventy six, and I got to think about what his number is. It's that's Donovan Smith, right? Donovan Smith, yep. Yeah, uh, he he had some troubles, including you know dealing with Houston, and then eventually just deciding he wanted to be part of Houston's shoulder pads on the one play that that called a touchdown back. Um, <laughs> great to see. Brady got upset by this kind of stuff, but, uh, but anyway, uh, it, almost nobody had any significant individual pass rush things. The only other exception to that was what the Ravens did to bat some passes at the line of scrimmage. And you mentioned this in terms of keeping your eyes on the quarterback while you're rushing the passer, but really nice game out of Washington to be able to deflect two balls. Yeah. He's been a pleasant surprise this season. Has he, hasn't he? I mean, I, not, not that, you know, I was down on him or didn't think he was a good player or anything like that. I knew he was going to be a part of the rotation, but I didn't know sort of what impact he would have. And I would say he he does a little bit of everything. You know, he he plays the he plays the run pretty well, relatively well. I mean, he's not he's not the Michael Pierce, Travis Jones, you know, nose tackle type body per se, even though he'll play um some one technique, some two technique, you know, he'll play over the over the outside shoulder, inside shoulder of the center at times just because of the front and you know, it's, it's just out of necessity. But I think he's more of a three technique body type. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, probably not quite as juiced up, twitched up as Matabike is in terms of his movement, but just body is it type. hardly anybody is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think body type wise, he's built a little bit more like a three technique, but he's he's kind of like one of these classic Ravens interior rotational DTs that they've had over the years who can give you a little bit of this, give you a little bit of that. Uh, and then, you know, in, in certain games can show up and, and really have a game for you. You're like, wow, I didn't, didn't see that coming. Um, but, you know, it's always nice, you know, when, when they show up that way. Yeah, it's a, a professional, professional three tech. It's it, it has value. Uh, I, I was not even sure he'd make the team this year. That's how that's, a, you know, he's a third year player, always at risk starting in the third year that you might lose your spot because of a, if there's a better guy as a, you know, a, a first year player. The Ravens obviously 
and and the draft in general very thin in terms of defensive line talent. They didn't really have a lot of players who were challenging Broderick in any meaningful way. I mean, even when you get into those preseason games and you can see what you got with Broderick and he's playing very well, and you can see what you got with Rayshard Nichols, and there there are signs that a player like Nichols could probably play in the NFL at some point, but it's not obvious. But they still had to cut somebody like Mac. And Mac to me was was more of a direct competitor as a three. And incredibly, Mac is a fourth year player and still has not been picked up. Ravens have activated him now once. It's it's hard for you to believe you get eight weeks into an NFL season and there isn't anybody anywhere who can't use Mac with all the injuries that occur on the defensive line, who can't use Isaiah Mac somewhere on their roster right now. That is surprising because normally those guys do get poached. Uh, so mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, knock on wood, it doesn't it doesn't happen now. But yeah, that was that was an interesting battle going back to the preseason with those guys. What you mentioned, Nichols, uh, Roderick Washington, Mac, Aaron Crawford, I think was mm-hmm. still around back then. Yeah. Um, so it it was it was like a good again, it was none of those good problems, right? Where you felt like, all right, we we got this really good competition going on with these interior guys, and hopefully the cream sort of rises to the top. And I don't know that in in like um, you know, a, a very clear way it did. It was sort of like, all right, all these guys have been pretty solid, been pretty good, had good preseasons. I don't know if anybody really kind of outshined the other guy. But since we've got into the season, Broderick Washington has acquitted himself very well, very well. So I've, I've been pleased with that. Yeah, I've been, I've been really happy. The other guy I've been really happy with in a low-key way so far this year is Brent Urban. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I think he could have done more for the Ravens. Than what he's done, but there was never a question of whether they're keeping or not. They, they really – kept him in bubble wrap pretty much in the preseason. Uh, didn't, didn't put, I mean, maybe some of it is they don't want anybody else to see what he still has left in the tank. They think, you know, they're pretty happy with him. Ben powers a little bit of the same treatment, honestly, in terms of, of, you know, they, they were ready to make him the starter long time before any of Ravens fans were ready to make him the starter. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. uh, anyway, they, we, we don't need to get into all these. I want to talk a little bit about, some interesting things that I saw in the ample time and space. So ample time and space, they gave Brady 19 times out of the, what was it? 40, 46 throws, I believe it was. So 41% ATS, very high uh, percentage. Now here's the interesting thing. Brady with ample time and space only threw for 4.2 yards per attempt. Mm. That includes the sacks, two sacks with ample time and space, a sack minus seven, sack minus four, uh, and a bunch of incomplete passes. So, this gets back to something we said, I think, in part one, but we might have said it in part two, is Brady's just in some ways afraid to put, throw the football over some of these circumstances. Yeah, whether it's visually what you just saw with your eyes or even the numbers that you've been sharing, it's just not the same guy. Mm-hmm. It is just not the same guy, and it is like off a cliff, not the same guy. It's not like a gradual. <laughs> it's like we took a step over the ledge and we're free-falling right now. Um, and it if it sounds like there's like shock in my voice, because I, I am, I'm just like, I, I don't know. Part of me doesn't know why. It's like we said earlier, you know, you know, this day was coming or, you know, this time was coming and maybe it's not here yet. Again, we want to get into projecting that, but it just feels like it's, it's so stark right now. Uh, and it really surprised me going into this game. Cause I, I thought that, okay, this could be a game where, where Tom, you know, they're coming in, they're struggling. They just lost to the Panthers. But hey, we're at home, short week. We're going to rally the troops and we're going to come out here and we're going to see like a classic Tom Brady game. And um, it didn't. It didn't happen. No, it's true. It, it, it really didn't. And, and uh, oddball game is everything was going their way in terms of having a Thursday night game, Calais Campbell not playing. 
you know, they have they have some injuries too that they're that they're dealing with. A lot of those are on defense, yeah. you know, dealing with the the guys in their secondary. Um, ball out quick is when Brady really excelled. Now, ball out quick is is one that is not a pressure, so pressure didn't develop in three, within three seconds. Pressure did not occur when the ball was thrown, but in my judgment, it would have occurred before three seconds. Um, it would have developed before three seconds, and and there were seventeen of those throws in this game. The only guy I think who's had more this year is Tua with 24 in that game against the Dolphins. But uh, the 17 throws where the ball was out quickly, 10.5 yards per throw. Uh, he completed 14 of 17 for 179. I look at that and I say a lot of the Bucks offense is built around those exact opportunities. You know, it, Some of them come up organically where it goes to the line of scrimmage and you made the hand wave gesture to Godwin, I think, in the slot, right? Mm-hmm. All right. And yep. that quick out. But but a lot of them are, you know, older Peyton Manning type throws where there's maybe one element of misdirection, then the ball goes out really quickly to another to another player. You know, Peyton had, you know, three little moves he would make often before he'd get rid of a ball in about a second and a half. And uh, and and I think we're just seeing some of that in terms of a of a of a guy late in career who's still still able to do that part. So if you wanted to pick the thing that Tom Brady is still good at. Uh, that time to throw is not betraying him in the way it can some other quarterbacks who just aren't very good at making that particular element work. Yeah, I think they made a point to talk about it during the broadcast. Um, I don't know if it was on the national broadcast. I was I, Since they started doing the Amazon games, I like to watch the Next Gen Stats broadcast. They definitely mentioned it on there where I think they said he was leading the league in uh, time to throw. I forget if it was like, 2.55 seconds or maybe it was 2.25 something like that but yeah um they said he was the lowest in the league last year and i think coming into this game he was the lowest this year as well so lines up with what you you mentioned earlier like he's he's in that only comparing it in terms of how they got the ball out not some of the other stuff in that ben roethlisberger territory in terms of how quickly he was getting the ball out yeah absolutely uh, when pressured, and the Ravens didn't have a lot of pressures. They only had got to got pressure nine times, less than twenty percent of the time. Obviously, that set of relationships with that many ATS opportunities is very high. That many ball out quicks, which is high, also, and only having nine pressures, you wouldn't figure that they'd have had a winning defensive strategy against this guy. But when they got pressure, he threw for only four point two yards, also uh, nine for thirty eight on those plays. So. Uh, Mixture of quarterback hits, a couple of passes defensed at the line of scrimmage or in that group. Uh, some people might not even call those pressures. I do. Uh, you know, when when he's, uh, you know, he's the pocket is tight enough that that he can uh, get a ball deflected at the line of scrimmage. But uh, honestly, the, the um, you know, dropping guys off the line of scrimmage, if that's a blueprint for beating top, that's not a good place to be in your career. That is really if that's if that's something that that could be replicated week to week, it's it's not something which which says I'm going to be around for a long time. No, it definitely does not. And like you said, with those numbers, if I had just seen those and I hadn't seen the game, and you said, "Hey, well, how do you think they did defensively?" I'm like, "Wow, Tom Brady probably carved them up," <laughs> but he did not. He did not. So that that uh, that combination of sort of the keep the lid on approach with you know, the sort of degrading, you know, skill set right now for Tom Brady, um, you know, was able to produce a winning result, you know, complimentary football at its best, I suppose. 
Are you guys still noticing that there's these strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section at your local grocery store? Well, that's because it's not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is it liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and its infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring a death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits of every can sold to help kill that plastic pollution. And you guys know me. I come on here and tell you a story about how I've been using it that week and kind of fooling people as I'm drinking water. Well, I got a new one this week. I'm not going to tell you what I did. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do because this week is Halloween. So Monday night, I'm taking the kids around. And I know there's some people that are handing out beer and shots and stuff, but I don't want to do that when I'm around my kids. So when I'm dragging my two eight-year-olds around and going door to door, I'll be dragging the wagon with the cooler of liquid death. So I'll be handing out tall boys of water to parents. And hey, if a kid asks, I can actually give it to a kid as well because all it is is water straight from the Alps. Go on and get Liquid Death. Get it today. Get it ready for Halloween. Uh, you go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Let's talk a little bit about elements of deception. I always like to talk about that. They really didn't try much of that. Now, it's not a lot of – you don't have a lot of point in blitzing a quarterback when they have to get the ball out as quickly as Brady does. You're, you're leaving a big hot read open, a hot read area open potentially. Uh, and even if even if he's going to get a, off any sort of quick throw to the outside, generally having a blitzer, you know, having Patrick Queen in the backfield, which it's often going to be, is not going to be good in terms of chasing down that player and, and hopefully minimizing the gain. But they used – one two-man blitz with uh, with Queen and uh, Klein, and they use Queen twice individually, and that's a that's a far fl- uh, far distance from how much Queen has been blitzing lately. When he's been you know fairly effective doing it, and then twice they use Hamilton on a, on a blitz as, or a, on a pass rush as well. I uh, sorry on a blitz. He had other times when he when he declared himself at the line of scrimmage, but I'm talking about on an off ball blitz. And he got a quarterback hit on one, and the other one went for the 51-yard play to Evans. So uh, some some variety of uh, of things they tried with the blitz. But honestly, pretty conservative, not, not bringing a lot of off-ball stuff in this game. So the four you see was the four you got most of the time. Yeah, and that didn't surprise me. Like we talked about a little bit earlier with Tom Brady, with as much as he's seen uh, from, from defenses and pressures, He's probably at a point now, obviously, you know, we just talked about some of the degrading skill set stuff, but aside from this stuff that has started to kind of manifest this year, you're almost, he, he almost invites, right? Please, please come after me because yeah. <laughs> I can see it. I can dissect it. Uh, you know, I, I don't like to call myself a golfer because I suck at it, but I do play golf. And the analogy I always think of is it's like being in the bunker, Right. For like recreational golfers, we hate being in the sand bunker. We hate being in the sand trap. This is a hard shot. We can't get out of there. We're duffing it. We're digging right. holes, whatever. Pros invite it. They love to be in there because they practice it so much. They know exactly how to come out of that bunker. They know exactly how to play those shots. So they don't, they invite it. I mean, obviously they want to be in the fairway. That's the primary goal, but they're not afraid to be in bunkers because they don't see it as something that, oh, I've never prepared for this. I really struggle to get out of this. No, they practice it so much. They can get out of there. No problem. So you send the blitz at Tom Brady. He's not afraid of that. Send it. <laughs> you, you watch a lot of golf on TV, probably. 
I never, yeah, I, 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 I never watch golf, and and you know, frankly, it's not not a sport that interests me. It's kind of like tennis. I, I kind of put it in that same category as I, you know, I prefer team sports. But one thing I would ask you is: Is there ever a situation with the lead in golf where you would actually aim for the bunker as a chance to reduce your variance for a hole? Hmm. So you're you you've got a you've got a par three or a par four, and you know you can hit the you need you know you can hit that bunker in one, and maybe that's not true of any par four. That's that's reasonable. Yeah, no, no, I think that there can I think that there can be. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna be hard pressed to name like a specific course, specific hole, specific situation. But I think that there definitely are situations where you're like, look, this miss is probably the the best course of action. That miss where I right. can get in that bunker because maybe it's an island type thing and there's water around it. Maybe you're somewhere at the Masters where you know the the greens are really fast and if anything other than in the bunker, if it hits the green, it's going to roll off just because of how they got where the pin is set up and how fast the greens are rolling. There definitely are situations where you say, you know what, this is technically a miss, but it's probably going to give me my highest probability of at least making par on this Mm -hmm. hole. And if I do have the lead and if we're kind of going down the stretch on a Sunday, I might kind of play it conservatively uh, in that situation versus kind of, you know, going YOLO on it and say, I'm just going to go flag hunting and <laughs> we'll see what happens. No, it's just interesting. I, 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 I assume that, that golfers think in those terms and, and, uh, are really working the end, like the end game like that. And I know they don't, they don't always play together, right? They're often, you're often playing people who are behind you on the course effectively, right? Yeah. You, okay. So you're, you're Sunday, somebody might be catching you from behind and they started yeah. They started, wait, you start last if you lead, right? Right. Okay. So there could be people in your group. Typically, it's, a, it's like a three-man group. And there could be people in your group who aren't where you are score-wise, right? Okay. But there could be people playing behind you. Um, well, no, you're last, so they'd be in front of you. There could be people in front of you who, you know, just got really low that day, right? They went out shot a really good number. Maybe mm-hmm. they really weren't a threat to you. Uh, to start the day, and, and now they by are. the time you come <laughs> out there, they're in the clubhouse at that number, and you got to go chase it, or you got to hold on. You know, maybe they got in like one stroke, and you're like, "Man, I got to hold on to what I got here. If I lose it, we get into a playoff, or worse, you know, I lose." Uh, so yeah, there's definitely some of that. So that sounds like the perfect situation. If a if a if a bunker gives you a higher probability of of making it in the number of shots you need, whether that's five on a par four or even six on a par four, that might. That might be a time. Anyway, too much talk about golf for us. <laughs> I got us on the golf track. Sorry. Yeah, all, right. all right. Well, let's talk uh, uh, stunts. There were five in the game. Uh, actually, six spread across five plays. A little bit. Of this is probably called on the on the field here, but uh, spread out. Jason Pierre-Paul uh, had a stunt that was on Matt Abike's sack, um, and, and we saw some other positive things occur. One that led to a QH by Matt Abike on his own stunt. So. Uh, some good things. Um, simulated pressure, they tried five times. I can only tell you, those numbers are dramatically lower, and particularly on a per-snap basis, when you have 46 dropbacks that result in a pass or sack, to only have five of each of those things, that is so not Ravens football. But it is was an appropriate way to play Brady in this game and really help them uh, uh, get the game closed out. Yeah, and I know we mentioned we both mentioned it a bunch of times that you know you you probably want to be a little bit more conservative with your rush against a guy like Brady. I wonder how much of the Thursday night element factored into that too. Because look, you've got 
you know, sort of core games, right? That are part of your rush plan, right? Not just like on a like a, a weekly get you know team specific thing. Like, hey, we run these every week, right? So that stuff's always in there. So of course you can call that at any time. But there might be some specific things you do for a specific opponent that if you had more time, you might have more of that stuff in and you might call more of that stuff. Even if it was against break, if you had a whole week, maybe you, you, you come up with a few more specific things, particularly against their own line, because you might want to target, you know, there's a where's there's a there's a where's Waldo type situation on the old line and you might want to target that guy. So maybe you do some of that. So I wonder if some of that was a part of it, too. I think most of it is Brady and, yeah. and kind of just the respect for him and knowing that he can kind of dice you up, um, you know, if he can ID blitzes on time and get the ball out on time, which he has throughout his career. But I wonder if some of it was that too, just, you know, a little bit less time to kind of get some of that stuff in. When I look at the three primary elements of deception, you blitz, you're leaving an open vulnerability. Uh, when, when you, and it's very clear, when you do simulated pressure, you're disadvantaging your coverage play pool, which could have the same effect with a quarterback who gets the ball out really quickly but you're disadvantaging your coverage. When you stunt, your primary thing you're doing is potentially letting loose a mobile quarterback yeah. for a big run. It seems to me like stunts are the thing. And, and that's why stunts and blitzes are like gold in the U.S. dollar in terms of, I, maybe this metaphor is going to be just useless, but gold in the U.S. dollar I, I, I compete as the world's most stable currency. And and you know if you if you if you're having blitzes and stunts, those compete with each other for time because you can't call an on-field stunt when there's a blitz coming. It's actually pretty hard to run a stunt combined with the blitz, even if it's called from the sideline. It can be done. It does. It, it happens once in a while, but it's but it's but it's fairly unusual that you'll you know stunt on one side and maybe blitz on the other. But it seems like if you're calling on field, if you're saying, look, he's not going anywhere. He doesn't even want to leave the pocket. He's a, the last thing he wants to be is thinking about sliding somewhere beyond the line of scrimmage or even thinking about laterally running anywhere that, that might get him to a point where he could leave the pocket. Uh, it seems like stunts are, are a much lower risk element against a, a quarterback like Brady. Yeah. And I think for this, just a little, you know, aside I'll throw in there because I, I see it every, I've seen it every game with them. I think that there are times when they're just able to kind of read out certain situations. When I say read out, it's basically just the players kind of working off the guy next to them rushing. And it, it may not be a called stunt or a called twist, but it's going to play out that way mm-hmm. just because it, it might have been – there were a couple in this game where you see them and it looks like one guy decides to do it, but the other doesn't know that the other guy has decided oh. to do it. And so you see a couple of those every game where you'll see a guy kind of take uh, uh, an angle where it looks like he's actually trying to to set the pick. He's trying to run into the adjacent offensive lineman and set the pick for his other guy. And his other guy like just stays out. Like he doesn't come inside of him or, or they end up crashing into each other because he doesn't know that the guy is setting the pick. So I think there's some of that. And I it doesn't happen a ton. I might see it like twice, maybe at most like three times a game. Um, but you see it more, um, not the, the negative outcomes of that, but just where it looks like it's just an on the fly thing when the veteran guys are in there all together. Oh yeah. And Campbell and JPP and all those guys are in there because they've been a part of units that do that. And they just know, right. They're just like, they can tell by the way the offensive line is set the way they think that they're going to slide or the type of protection that they're running that, Hey, we got an opportunity to pick one of these dudes and get, you know, one of us open. And, you know, they've, mm-hmm. they've been at this for, you know, 15 years for one guy, and I guess 10 or 11 for the other guys. So they just know, man, they've seen it all. And uh, DMPs used to talk about that. He used to say, hey, a lot of times 
he, he did this clinic once up in Michigan and he would show all this film about these stunts. And he was like, people think that's a called stunt. It wasn't. I let those guys read that out on the field. They made that decision on their field. He just kept showing clip after clip. People mm-hmm. thought that was called. It wasn't. People thought that was called. It wasn't. And uh, it's unless you're it's one of those things where unless you're in that room, or I guess if you're maybe if you're a player, you, you know it and can tell. But for us as fans, unless you were there or a coach said something or a player said something, you probably wouldn't know just watching it on field, whether it was predetermined or something they did on the fly. All right. Outstanding stuff, man. I love to hear all that kind of that kind of stuff. And, and I, maybe the absence of Campbell had something to do with it, because this seems like a game. You got a very weak left a gap for your opponent. You know, you have all kinds of opportunities to use really either one of those players. It's not it's not like you know, Donovan Smith is is a uh, brick wall at left tackle either. He's a guy who can be exploited, I think, anyway. And, and if you've got a, a weak left guard next to him, you know, crossing the face of that tackle. You know, potentially, you know, having some sort of, of of tackle end twist there, which would get an inside guy around the edge. Uh, I could see that too. So it's you know, you got. It seemed like there were more opportunities from this, and maybe if Calais Campbell was on the field, he'd have been calling it a lot himself. I wouldn't surprise me because he is an absolute sledgehammer. Yeah. Whether you call him the people call these things different things, but the guy that goes inside, where you call him the penetrator or the picker. Mm-hmm sets the pick for the other guy. Yep. He just wipes dudes out when he runs into them. I mean, he yep. hits them like hip level and just cleans them out of there, knocks them clean into another offensive lineman. So when there's an outside guy looping inside of that, it's just like the seas have parted because he's wiped this other dude out. Yeah, very often creates the opportunity for Campbell himself. as yeah. I, I call it the under player, the under and the over in terms of a, of a, a twist or, or a stunt. But, but the under player is, is tremendously – under they're not underappreciated in terms of what they could do, but it's underappreciated in terms of the opportunity accruing to them yeah. because the, you know, the, the, the over player essentially peels off the player off the outside shoulder. If you're Calais Campbell and you've used your length well, and you've got in there like you know, with the power you've described here and you've stayed low, you got two guys trying to block you at a 45 degree angle. Neither one of those has you blocked individually well at all. They they're, Totally dependent on keeping the damn held, but the fact that they're both on you, oh my god! Let's, let's and, and then one of them has to peel off to block somebody else or let him go. Either way, and I think and, Matabike was the under guy on the RTP goal. I think he was the under guy on that because I think he came around either to the left guard. I think it was to the left guard, and as the left guard turned to try to pick him up and pass him off, like you said, he can't. The angles are bad. And this guy can just drive through you. Now I might be making all that up, but I think he I thought he was the under guy. Well, he was he was involved in two that he was it was it was JPP who was over. So I think it was Matabika who was under on the S minus four, where he eventually, after ample time and space, he he spun out of the double team that was still there. Okay. Okay. And there was and, but, one, yeah, there was one where I might I might be thinking about another play then, because there was one where I could very clearly visualize exactly what you were just describing. Mm-hmm. You don't think that that guy is the guy who should get the pressure, but All he right. is. Yeah. Yeah. The Ravens, Ravens over their history with Tim Jernigan and, uh, you know, lots of other people. Tim Jernigan is one who comes to mind a lot, but, but Sam Adams uh, could, could do this kind of thing. I've had some great underneath players over the years that are, that are exciting on stunts. All right, let's, uh, let's get Trevor Price. There's, there's a great oh, one man. in terms of a, oh, a, of a guy in the past. That could Absolutely. Really Individual player discussion. Talk about as many players as you want, Michael. Uh, we have talked about a few already, but there's still a few more that I want to hit on here. Before we okay. do. So you're, you're the guest. You go first. 
Yeah, I mean, I, we have talked about a couple of these guys, but I'll, I'll at least start with them, and then maybe I'll save a, a guy who, you know, I like those under-the-radar under under type guys. Um, you know, hard not to start with Justin Houston. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to go into a deep thing about it because we've talked about him a bunch now, but just in terms of, you know, who kind of, you know, shined on defense and, and kind of caught your eye, even in a very limited sort of snap size, as you pointed out, um, you know, it's about efficiency. You can't get much more efficient than that. I mean, it, it was an absurdly good game. And and there's there's there were things that people, I think, missed about how good his game was here. But obviously, the two sacks were big, and we don't even have to talk about those again. But he actually flushed Brady out of the pocket on that run left for one yard that was chased down first by Matabike, and then Stone got there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a great play. Uh, he, he got held by Smith. Uh, all kinds of held in a way that was almost cartoonish uh, on that play uh, that, that brought back the, the six yard touchdown that was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's another on third and 16 and this, they, remember they got third and 16 then they got that to fourth and three and then they had to kick a field goal after they got a false start penalty. Yeah. That, that, that whole sequence, but on that third and 16, he pancaked Smith and Smith is holding him like crazy because he just couldn't handle Justin Houston all night. But Justin Houston goes down on top of him because of the hold. Okay. And then normally there'd be some sort of tripping risk there, but somehow in his veteran way, uh, Houston, after being held, fortunately was not called for tripping because that would have been a very rude kind of a, kind of a a over officious jerkness if the, if any official had done that to him, but his legs got in the way of Brady actually hit Brady on Mm -hmm. the, on the, uh, chin and Brady had to move up out of the pocket. And then, uh, a, he ended up throwing a 13-yard throw to, to Julio Jones by that left sideline, but it was a pressure like, on that play. And, and it's the kind of thing that if it hadn't worked out, I mean, he, you know, he, he got the ball to the three-yard line, might have found somebody else for a touchdown. First of all, we'd have to think that would be a possibility in the play. But also, it, it certainly could have created an incomplete pass situation right there where the Ravens wouldn't have needed a false start to bail them out if things had gone differently. Yeah, what I remember that play vividly. And, you know, the first thing I was thinking, I was thinking like you, I was thinking about the tripping thing. I actually was thinking about the old like offensive line thing, like the old leg whip. I'm like, hey, yep. you just hit him with a little leg whip. And he's like, what trip? What? No, I just, that's momentum. I just, hey, my legs just carried over into him and he fell down. Yeah, I would have been, uh, it would have been really, really unfair seeming to Ravens fans <laughs> if he'd have been, if he'd have been called for a trip after being held to the ground like that. And then, of course, the two point conversion attempt. And we talked about this in, in the first show about what you can do that has value when you're on the edge. And, you know, if you can generally speaking cross the face of somebody and penetrate, it's, it's got more value than I think people realize. And that's all he did on that play. Was he penetrated against that tight end? That tight end tried to do the best he could to pin him. And I forget if this was uh, Co. Is this KK? Yeah, yeah okay. I was Co. Key for Hotton. It yeah. was one of those two. Yeah. And, and he, anyway, he, he he did the best he could to block him, and and uh, and and he just crossed into the backfield, and he was river dancing about it before that play was even over. But he knew it was over because you know Clark stood up white, and and then Stone got there, I think, as well. But others. Yeah others as well and it was one of those plays that boy you look at and it doesn't show up in the stats it doesn't even i don't think count as a snap for him because because two-point conversion try snaps generally don't count but boy was that a big play in the game because that that meant they needed a onside kick and a touchdown absolutely huge play and that's what you got to do as an edge guy you you've got to treat that situation 
where the offense tries to block you with a tight end as disrespect. Yeah. You can't line this guy out here and block me with this dude. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> and that's basically what he did. I mean, he's just like he wasn't even there. He just darted inside so fast. And that was it. I, I love the Ravens' resilience in that situation to get through the penalty. And yeah, it was probably a penalty, but but it was, you know, another one of these many penalties that went the went the Bucks favor in this game. And and then they get down to the one yard line and they're still able to stop the run, even after all that. Uh, they, they still were able to uh, stay on the field. They've been on for a while there. Been on, what, about 10 plays on that drive, mm-hmm. even though they've been a little short dink and dunks that the pass rushers still had to work on those plays. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Stressful series. That was a very stressful series. As a, as a fan watching, just like, please, yeah. please get them, keep them out of the end zone. Yeah, here's, uh, it's, that's definitely true. Okay, I, I'll, t- I'll take another player. I want to talk about Geno Stone a little bit. And it, what this guy has produced for the Ravens in terms of being in the lineup for Marcus Williams, nothing short of remarkable in, in my way of thinking. He's a third-year player. We noticed in the preseason, he shouldn't be even on the field, allowed on the field in the second half. He's just that much above every other player on the field in the second half of a preseason game now. Uh, it's just it's patently unfair. And it was one of the techniques that the Ravens used to extend their winning streak in a big way was getting Geno Stone on there for the end of football games uh, where, you know, effectively Geno Stone is to the second half of preseason football. What Ed Reed is to regular Sunday football. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Preseason uh, all-star. He's and, a preseason all-star. <laughs> and, and you know what? He's He's been a hell of a player this season. We saw all of the things that he brings you in this game. We saw bracket coverage that was nice and loose. One time even, I mean, I, I think it was on his side. He was the back end of the coverage, and I think Peter was, was underneath. I may have it wrong. That might have been Clark. And Demarion Williams was trying to stick with, I think it was Evans, by that right sideline. It might have been the long one. It might have been Godwin. But it was a long one. It was by the right sideline. And, and it was, in essence, getting close to being triple covered. Because Demarion Williams had the direct coverage, but then we had a bracket from Stone and a bracket from from uh, Peters underneath. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Okay. That. So, uh, you know, I, I I love to see safeties who can vary their bracket size. I want to see a guy who plays for the overthrow sometimes, who plays for the undercut sometimes, and who plays to go to the body sometimes. And boy, was the third and four play one of the great demonstrations of Geno Stone can do it all. You know, he, he they they threw a pass to, I think it was to Godwin in that case, okay. who had been hot and he'd been mm-hmm. moving the football. And basically Stone showed him the five hole. Okay, okay, hockey terminology. He basically spread his legs, showing the the opposing goal scorer that he could score in between his legs if he wants, but it's going to be harder to go to the outside of the net. And you know, you show the five hole and you close it up as a goalie is the is the is the the thinking there. Uh, he showed him that five hole. He baited him right into that throw. He came downhill and he hit him like he was Deshaun Elliott, basically delivering a pop to the midsection. And, you know, I, I loved Elliott, the player, loved how hard he played. I didn't love the fact that he wasn't a multiple types of bracketing uh, as a as a free safety. I thought that was really his weakness as a player. Geno Stone did it all in this game, had big contributions to drive ending plays, close trail coverage in the end zone. Good end zone coverage combined with Hamilton on one play, one time covering Rudolph that got thrown in there, another time covering Evans back left side in the end zone. Just a, a series of very fine plays in this game. And he, I thought he was one of the defensive MVPs in this game. Yeah, I've been a big fan of Geno Stone. Anybody who listens to the Deep Cover podcast the year he was drafted, we were like, this is the kind of guy that comes on the roster and takes somebody's job. Mm-hmm. This is that kind of guy. 
He's just one of those kinds of Iowa players, very smart, very savvy, not you know going to blow you away with athleticism, but high football intelligence, understands where to be, when to be there. Um, you know, <laughs> he makes me a little nervous at times because he's got some Chuck Clark in him in that he has not met a crosser that he does not like to jump. Uh, <laughs> that worries me at times a little bit. But, I mean, look, you, you, you probably want a guy who's playing aggressively and trusts what he sees. Like, mm-hmm. if you think you see something that you can jump and make a play on the ball, go jump it. There are going to be times when you're wrong, but I'd rather you play that way. And I, I've talked about this. Um, yeah. We've been with Denard. I don't remember where I talked, but it was about defensive back play in general. And I'd rather have a guy who's playing to make plays as opposed to a guy who's trying not to give up plays. Yeah. That's, um, that's play your reads. Just like, a, a you know, the best poker players aren't just math guys. You know, there's a lot of math guys out there, but there's very few really great readers. And, uh, you know, we see a, a lot of when Stone is left in single high, there's some criticism of him. Well, I, I'm going to tell you, there's no good single high safeties that you can you can you can trust to cover sideline to sideline. They all have to guess. OK, Ed Reed, Earl Thomas, even the great ones in their prime, they had to guess like a soccer goalie, basically heading to one sideline or the other based on where they thought that play was going. And you could do a little bit of trickery, you know, what he like what he did to Peyton Manning in that playoff game the one time to, to basically cover a side of the field where he doesn't think the, the coverage is going. But most of the time, you just gotta you just gotta take a guess, try and figure out the routes off the line of scrimmage and where that quarterback wants to go and and be on that side of the field and hope the single coverage holds up on the other side if it happens to go back that way. Yeah, very hard, very hard to play as a as a post safety, as a single high safety in this league without anticipation. Uh, that you're describing, you know, unless you're just a freak show, like, you know, rest in peace, Sean Taylor was just, just like a total physical freak show. Uh, then, then that's a little bit different, but for the most part, guys have got to anticipate because, you know, the quarterbacks, they're just, their arms are just too good. You know, you're just not going to be able to get to those balls. If you're like, all right, I got to wait to see it. I got to wait to see it. All right. Now I'm going to go. You're too just, late. You're just not going to get there in time. Yeah. You're late. You're not going to get there in time. You, you got to go before really you got to be thinking about it like you said almost like the quarterback is and like hey this is where i would this is where i would throw it if i was a quarterback <laughs> in in the days of our misspent youth particularly my misspent youth even more than your misspent youth since you're significantly younger and then in the 70s quarterbacks really threw the ball up into single coverage a lot more particularly after the rules changed in 78 but but even before then uh they would take more risks with a football on third down because it was like a punt you know, they were they were happy to throw a, a deep ball on third down into, into coverage and whatnot. And if it, yeah, it gets picked off, my, my receiver will get it. Who cares about interceptions? Nobody's counting those, are they? <laughs> so, <laughs> now, I mean, quarterbacks' eyes are trained. I believe their minds are trained to basically outthrow the defenders as opposed to hit the receivers a lot of the time, particularly on the deep ball. You know, they, they basically want to throw to an open part of the field, let the receiver go get the ball, but put it someplace where where – the bad guy, the guy in the other uniform, isn't going to get it. Absolutely, hundred percent agree with that. All right, so you're you're up. Uh, another guy we talked about earlier, but I'll mention him here again: Broderick Washington. Um, just you know, one of those under the radar type guys who came in and had a couple pass deflections at the line of scrimmage. Um, I might have even tweeted this out, or maybe I only sent it to Denard. 
uh, <laughs> had a, a play, uh, that, a couple of plays against the run, but one uh, that stood out to me where he had to, to defeat a double team. And it was, it was textbook stuff. Um, you would attack the drive blocker. Uh, and when you think about a double team, so, uh, well, excuse me, attack the post blocker. So there's the main guy, right, who's trying to get the most of you, right, the biggest part of your body on the double team. And there's a guy that's coming either from your left or your right, uh, who is, you know, some people will refer to as a drive blocker. So the post blocker is the guy who's trying to basically post you up, right, get the mm-hmm. most of you. And the drive blocker is trying to come down and kind of bang your hip and knock you over, right? So what there's different ways to defeat double teams. Well, one way that they teach it, and this is what Broderick Washington did, is attack one guy as soon as possible. And typically it's the post guy. Attack that guy, and you're trying to get the double teamers on different levels. They want to be hip to hip, yep. right? Get 600 pounds a man and move you. If you can get them on different levels, then what you can do is effectively reduce your surface area that that drive blocker has to make contact with. Right. So he can't actually push you over as effectively that way. And that's actually what that's absolutely what Broderick Washington did. He some people call that surviving the drive, survive the double team. Right. When the guy tries to come down and hit you like that, knock that first guy back, get him on different levels, survive the drive blocker, then come off and make the play. And that's exactly what he did. So it's one of those little things where you're like, ah, that's not like a stat. It's not going to be captured anywhere other than tackle and run, tackle and run. But it was really impressive to me. And, uh, you know, it just caught my eye. So he, he'd be another guy for me who uh, I want to shout out for the game. Yeah, obviously we've talked about the couple of deflected passes he has, so we don't need to do that again, but that's effective. But more this year, I've, I've found that Washington has been a guy I'm identifying in my notes as blowing up a run play without making the tackle. Now, there's nothing wrong with being the guy who makes the tackle. You want that too. But you know, it's something I've always associated with Calais Campbell is – He's able to get push, and you know, part of it is playing low and playing hard uh, with a man that size. And you know, he, he backs people up a yard or two. When you look at offensive line play, and you see who's really going to get a zero on the play as opposed to a one. I mean, the, the guys who may be straight up blocking somebody, but they get blocked two yards back, particularly on a run play. Even if the run isn't to that side, if the if it or the running back never really thought about using that part of the field into in, in, in his run or he, using it as a cutback lane or whatever, it's still bad. It yeah. still takes up space, takes away options from, from what that running back has. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And and I, I've probably noticed more of those from Broderick this year than I have in the past. Certainly uh, certainly associated a lot with certain, Certain running uh, uh, defensive linemen is a large part of what they do, and you made the point. I think it's a good one that Broderick has really had a broad set of contributions this year. Yeah. Hey, Brandon Williams said it last year in one of the pregame things: like an airplane, not a helicopter. Yeah. You come <laughs> off the ball, you want to come off like a heli- like a like an airplane, right? Low and kind of then kind of explode up, not straight up. You don't want to pop up like a helicopter. <laughs> he said if you he said if you play high at this league, they will destroy you. <laughs> Well, he would know uh, because, you know, it's, it makes all the difference in the world to him. And I've seen I, I saw a video that he did with the NFL that was really well done on talking about when he when he played low, he thought he could be great. And I think he was up against Brian Baldinger, just consistently beating the crap out of him, which was funny. Anyway, good video if you can if you can find it out there. I'll bring up another guy. Kyle Hamilton is my next guy. And, and I've been critical of Hamilton, particularly early in the year. I think PFF has him way overgraded, but you know, some huge plays allowed against in the Miami game in particular. This was a really good game out of Hamilton. I mean, just he's really stacking plays, stacking games. I think we we talked a little bit earlier about, about 
Limiting his set of plays is probably a good thing. I think layering his responsibilities and what you have him do on individual plays is probably a good thing. We saw him rush the passer. I think it was four times that he actually rushed the passer in this game. And I don't have it in front of me, but uh, but I think it was something like that four times where he rushed the passer. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. That sounds about right to me because I think you said there were two that were like yeah. off the ball. Yeah, two off ball, two on ball. See, he only had one hit out of that. Um, he did have another that that I I gave him a pressure on the play, but it was the one where Houston got there just a, a split second before he did and got the sack. Yeah. And if he could have gotten a piece of that sack, that historic sack, uh, vulch that away, uh, that would have been pretty cool. It doesn't. It, I don't think Houston would would mind that it's two names instead of one that's on that. You know who sacked him? Well, it was Kyle Hamilton and Justin Houston got him for number five fifty five. But uh, that was pretty cool. I thought you know they had double coverage uh, with Stone early on, a button in the end zone, so that was nice. Uh, he got the quarterback hit that we've talked about earlier. Uh, he. This was one of the good things. Broderick Washington tipped the ball up in the air. I want guys looking for the football on those plays. And Hamilton is one of the guys who clearly does. There are, I'm not saying the Ravens don't have you know more of that, but but Hamilton is clearly has a level of field awareness that he's looking for the football in the air. A level of ball awareness, I guess, is 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 what to call it. There's certain defenders who are downfield. You know, maybe it would have worked better if there was some man coverage and some underneath stuff going on. But he got within about three yards. It's the closest they came to intercepting one of those batted passes that they had. The two by Washington and the one by by uh, Jones in the game. You definitely see ball awareness from him. I mean, you, you that that's really you know, despite some of the mistakes and some of the other stuff early on whether it's the punch out fumble from behind in the Patriots game. Yeah. I think he recovered a fumble in some other game that somebody else stripped out. He's a ball aware guy. He's mm-hmm. always sort of looking for the ball in addition to whatever his responsibility is, right? That's always going to come first, but then it's like, okay, where's the ball? Find the yeah. ball. Uh, and so, you know, you love that. Cause I think that's something that you saw in his Notre Dame tape was like, he's just, oh, yeah. he's a, he's a playmaker, you know? And I know people don't like these sort of intangible terms, but He's just one of those guys that just has a real instinct for being around the ball and making plays around the ball. And so whether that's something you can quantify, you know, more specifically or more tangibly than, than I just did, then, then, then great. You know, it, it, it has to manifest itself as FF, FR or INT or maybe PD. Yeah. <laughs> those yeah. are the four categories that really you know it, it shows up in. And as, if he's going to be an underneath defender more than a back end free safety, split safety kind of guy. And I think that there's a pretty good chance that's where he, his years with the Ravens anyway will be largely spent. Uh, he's got to do he's going to have to do some of that. He's going to have to be a guy who gets down in the muck, a guy who's second man to the football and punches it loose sometimes. So particularly, you know, teams play this underneath style, throwing the football game. Second, there's lots of second man force fumble opportunities. Lots of them. It's lots of first man force fumble opportunities. So, but you got to have the guys who are really looking to do it. And and then we didn't even mention his, his really great play reaching across Otten at the goal line on second and goal there uh, with about a minute to go. And they eventually got in on fourth and eight, but, it wasn't looking too good there when they got to third and eight and then they and and then the fourth and eight after the tip pass and, and the second and goal play. Uh, you know, he reached completely across Otten to knock that ball down. We did have a real good mailbag item about that. And I just it's a it's a it's a comment from Caleb Wharton that I'll go nice. ahead and and um, and mention if you don't mind here. Yeah. Let's see. Here, this has got to be it here. 
rewatching the game, Hamilton's goal line pass breakup at one minute in the fourth might be the most pure length-based coverage play I've ever seen. Literally at Film Study Ravens, one arm longer than two principal, demonstrated in midair between two six-four football players. I'm not sure if I agree with, with that completely in terms of the analysis, but it was a he used his length extremely well to reach across the body very well, and he laid out for it. Um, he says he throw. This is really interesting, though. My favorite aspect of the play is the delay. Hamilton throws himself on a slower trajectory that carries him in front of the receiver, allows him to use his length and re- and reflexes to interact with the ball outside of the receiver's catch radius. So, I I, I think I understand what he's saying there, and I, I, I it's definitely something I didn't pick up directly, which means I'm very interested in in now going back and taking another look at that. But but a good point by Caleb that you know if 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 you go in fast it probably gives you a better chance to get the pass interference call in, in that situation or you know he is it's trying to be loose arm right arm you know it was it was the wait a minute it was the yeah it was the he was he he did it with the left arm right and he yeah. had his right arm around the guy so it, it, first of all probably offhand pass deflection which is probably harder. You know, I, I don't know for, for a fact that he's left-handed or right-handed, but you should, I think of it as a dominant arm trait that you try, if you can, to knock passes away with your dominant hand. I agree. I agree with that, if you can. Um, I think some of it is your relationship to where the receiver is. So if he's breaking out to, let's say, the left in this situation like that was, and you're trailing from the right, you may try to get your right hand around the hip. They always want you to get, you know, a hand in position to make the tackle, right? Because in case he catches the ball, you want to secure the tackle. So you get that hand there, and then you reach across with your left hand, even if that may not be your dominant hand, just because of the position that you're in. And then it kind of flips around the other way, right? If you're if he's breaking out to the right and you're trailing from the left, it kind of reverses. But I think that's how it's coached, probably. But what guys are going to do out on the field is probably, like you said, more like, hey, here's my dominant hand. That's just what's going to happen more naturally. Right. We see that with receivers a lot. They'll have a dominant shoulder and they'll and they'll turn 300, well, not 360 degrees, but they'll turn 180 degrees for the ball rather than try and catch it in stride over the wrong shoulder. Yeah. So with with in, in the case of Hamilton going for the football there at the goal line, he actually would have it would have been a very heady play to go ahead and use his right hand if that was the if that was the better chance if it was the closer arm if however if if he wanted to use his right arm it was a, he was open to use the right arm because he was at the goal line specifically and i don't think there was a tackle to be made that would have kept him out of the end zone yeah he had he, he definitely had that option um he's he's that that play i think is is what people think about when they say hey he's a a tight end eraser right i think that's what mm-hmm. a lot of people thought about with him coming out um now look Kate Otten is a rookie. We're not we're not calling him Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, uh, <laughs> but that's exactly what you think Kyle Hamilton should be able to do. What you want him to be able to do in those kinds of situations, right? We already talked about all the zone stuff, and and that stuff's important too. But in those situations where you got to go match somebody in coverage, man to man, it's exactly what you want to see from him. I liked your point earlier about he's going to be better in the red zone where. There's not as much total field to cover, and his length to total field available ratio looks a lot better. Yeah, he's he, the wingspan man. It's just I remember that play from the preseason where I don't know if he was if he was rushing. It was I think it was a Cardinals game. I don't know if he was rushing or if he was like a called rush or he was just adding on to the okay. rush because his guy was in man coverage and he blocked. I mean, he was in man coverage and his guy blocked. But yeah, he goes up and there's nowhere to throw the ball. Hmm. I think he actually got a piece of it. 
and uh, it might have just fallen to the ground or whatever, but there's nowhere to throw the ball. So you think about that, and I think I think about that when I see him rush from uh, off the ball too. When he's coming through like the B gap, and you're trying to throw it that way, you got to get that ball up over this guy. And anytime you got to elevate the ball, safeties love that. Like get that thing sure. up high, right, and let it sail over the top of a guy. Tips and overthrows. The safeties love for. It. <clears throat> Yeah, you could you could see a Geno Stone or or a Peters or a lot of players who would who would really you know derive value live off uh, off something like that. We we didn't talk about this because it was in the previous game, but he had the most slippery pass rush move in the previous game you'll just oh, yeah. about ever see. Yeah. I mean, that, he looked like you know. Okay, I had hoped that the Hamilton selection at number fourteen would be a lot like being able to forget about you know not taking Derwin James and. One of the things that Derwin James brought immediately in his all-pro rookie season was the ability to rush the passer just like nobody's business. Yeah. They put him as that extra edge guy on, on the end. He can even put – I think he even, even rushed with his hand in the dirt a few times. Yeah. I, I mean, that's really giving it away. He's just like – like, no you know, Look, no I, I'm, I'm coming after your sister right now, and there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And it's uh, It really is – It's a. Uh, He's a he's a he's a very special athlete, obviously. But but Hamilton, that that slippery move on the pass rush to yeah. get by Froholt, I think it was against against yeah. the Browns. Yeah, yeah, the handwork too, right? To to kind of the the, wax, the sort of wax off move mm-hmm. that they, you, you see defensive linemen working those moves. You yeah. see DBs doing that a whole lot. Yeah, he spent some time with Mister Miyagi there. He's, uh... Absolutely. <laughs> All right, your turn. All right, I'm gonna do the two for one special just because these guys. Independently, probably not huge contributions, but together, I think, you know, kind of affected the game in some important ways. So we, we did mention one of these guys. Uh, I'm going to go Brent Urban and A.J. Klein. Okay. I'm going to do both there. And I, now, Brent Urban, again, like you said, not not a ton of, of usage, but, you know, he shows up in the run game pretty consistently when he's in yep. there. Whenever I watch him, he shows up. And you talk about knockback, that getting guys back, that this is like his specialty, right? This is what he does. He just jacks guys back. He's not necessarily going to have like this slippery get around the edge of a guy or something like that. He's just going to get up underneath a guy's shoulder pads, right? Get his hands right in here and just knock the guy back uh, and, and lock his arms out and then, you know, look for the ball and then shed either way and go make a play on the ball. So it, it, if people probably can't tell, that little like technical down and dirty stuff in the trenches, I love it. So he's good with that. And then Klein, he had two plays that caught my eye. He had the TFL on Rashad White, right? Uh-huh. He motions out of the backfield and they're trying to do a little quick screen out wide. He sees that coming all the way. He's been around the block a few times. He knows that's there. That play um, is him or nobody, too. That was a really good play. Yeah. But he has that play. And then he has the tackle on Julio Jones on a little jet sweep uh, for no game. But the reason that those stood out to me, because he was unblocked, you know, it's just taking an angle and, and get to the ball. But both of those made me think about something you always talk about, the defense needing variation. So you get a TFL for minus two, right? Uh, and then on the next play, it's it's a no game, right? You don't, you don't lose anything, but you don't gain anything, right? And I think both of those ended up – it wasn't the direct next play because I think one of those might have been like a, a second down play that went to third down. I think both of them actually might have been second down plays that went to third down. But it got to that next third down play where the defense didn't make a stop. And were able to be in a position where it was a third and 10 or third and 12, or maybe it was a second and 12, one of them might have been a second down play. Whatever the case was, he made that next play as difficult or, or more difficult than what it would have been if he had not made his plays. It was only two plays, but both of those kind of caught my eye because it's like, hey, that's the kind of thing that can slow the momentum of an offense. 
just to say, hey, you didn't get anything on that play. No game, or you actually lost yards on that play. Yeah, Klein, not a guy who played a lot of snaps, played 15 snaps in the whole game. So so it's good to have a couple big plays like this. Same basic thing for Urban as well. He played 19 snaps. He made my notes three times as a run defender. And it's it's exactly the kind of thing you're talking about of shedding a block, making a tackle, or backing somebody up and letting somebody else make the play, which is another big Brent Urban thing. Uh, he has been a snap-eating machine in the past for the Ravens. I think if he were asked to, I think he could play a lot more than he's playing right now. Uh, I, I don't know what is – I wouldn't care to put an upper end on him, but he played over 50% of the snaps at one point for the Ravens when he's in his previous tour. And it wouldn't surprise me if he if he could play a lot more if he really needed to, if Campbell was lost for an extended period. And this was a game – they didn't have Calais Campbell, and Brent Urban had a significant contribution to what was done, despite the fact that the Ravens – you know, they didn't have – three defensive linemen on the field for all that many plays. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's a lot of 11 they're facing with the, with the, with Tampa Bay, not exclusively, but a lot. Um, so it's, so it's not like the other team was forcing them to say, Hey, we think your, your, your D line room sucks. And we're going to make you put a lot of those on the field, play after play after play, like the Cleveland Browns might've punished the Ravens if they were playing without Clayus Campbell like that. Yeah. But that type of ball is coming. It's getting, yeah. it's going to get colder. <laughs> teams are going to look to run the ball more. And, you know, he, he might be one of those guys where, hey, if we run into one of those games and it's a, you know, hey, dirty work, put your, put your you know, put your hard hat on type game, he's, he's you know, perfectly made for that. I, I love the fact that the Ravens, you look down the Ravens record, two and five, two and five, two and five, two and five. There really isn't that power running team other than the second meeting against the Browns. Yeah, the Bengals will never do it to them, so you don't have to worry about that. The, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers are not really built to play power football right now. I think would agree. Even the, and Najee Harris is is really struggling this year in terms of what he's uh, done. I, it's there just aren't a lot of power football teams left. They they they've set themselves up well to play the Cleveland Browns. There there really isn't it really isn't another team. I, I guess Joe Mixon ran the ball pretty effectively in the game in Baltimore. But they they didn't really do it. They they ran that out of eleven, and then the Ravens are limited in terms of of how they can can kind of approach that. He's there if you need him. Breaking case of emergency. Yes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, it's it's uh, it's hard not to be optimistic about where, where the Ravens are. I think we're going to cut it here, and I'm sorry we're going to have to leave the rest of the mailbag undone. But I have got to uh, get to sleep, try and get over this bug I've got. And, uh, and hopefully we'll uh, uh, be able to talk again real soon, Michael, because I, I, it doesn't matter uh, you know, where we are in terms of things. I always want to talk football for as long as I can with you. It's always a great conversation, Ken. Thanks for having me on again. And, uh, you know, I think, did we talk about when last time? I think last time we talked after a win. The first time I was on. Well, was after make, the Bengals game? Let's make sure we have you on for a bunch more. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so I love I love coming on just in general, and the conversation is always great. But yeah, yeah, maybe maybe there's a good luck thing going on here there you uh, go. with us doing these and the Ravens winning games. So I uh, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on again. All right, once once more at Abakari on Twitter. Uh, the uh, oh, deep, I'll say deep cover I'll, fire zone. Yep, yep. Uh, at deep cover pod on Twitter at the fire zone show on Twitter. Um, there's still some stuff out on YouTube every now and then, and it's just by the same name. So you can just go to YouTube and um, go to those channels and subscribe to those and, you know, click that little bell, you get a notification. Uh, whenever stuff does come out, you'll know and you'll be able to check it out.
You guys have heard Michael and and Michael's friends are good as well. Uh, and I have them on as regular guests. Michael is my favorite, of course. But but uh, if if you uh, want to hear good talk about football, uh, he's more of a moderator on 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 a couple of yeah. these shows. Oh yeah, right? those guys are better. There's better. If you think I'm good, hey, Chris Aguilera, Kerry Stevenson, Denard Melton, those are the stars of the show. Yeah, I'm just I'm just there to you know kind of tread water. So. Uh, definitely look definitely check those guys out and you can check all those guys out on twitter too um so you know you are an overly humble dude here and i i, 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 <laughs> those I, I guys I'm are okay good man they're good they are good they are good uh michael thanks again for coming on other folks out there if you'd like to uh uh be on a film study short please hit me up with a dm on twitter always love it if you can go check out the youtube channel there's a wonderful youtube out there with aaron shots uh, the founder and editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders. And we talk about the career of Justin Tucker. Give that a chance. Like and subscribe, please, if you would. Any review is great. We always appreciate that if you do. Once in a while, I ask for these. Hopefully not every week or anything. Uh, but but these kind of things help us in terms of, of uh, populating, the, getting uh, more popular content. And I'm sure Michael's shows would appreciate that as well in terms of, of getting an audience going. It can be hard to get started with an audience. You, you guys have some. I'm not... I'm not saying you don't, but, but it's always nice to, to be able to pick up some audience when, uh, uh, you know, you can and, and loyal subscribers and people hit the subscribe and like button, uh, are always, uh, very welcome. Yeah. Always well, looking to grow. Never going to, never going to turn that down. <laughs> all right, Michael. Thanks again for coming on the show again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on film. <laughs>